Greetings old Haleyburians and members of the wider Haleybury community wherever and whenever you are listening to this podcast. This is Keith White from the class of 62, bringing you the 11th of our regular podcast series, which includes audio material from the Haleybury archives. In this episode, I have a chat to Glenn Garden, a valued member of our archives team, about his interesting connection to Robert Pargeter and his role in consolidating and promoting the Student Archives Club. Then we showcase the students' first contribution to our From the Archives podcasts. We follow this with an address at Founders Day 1987 by Brian Ennis, celebrating the unveiling of the portrait of former Vice Principal Ivor Jock McGregor. But first, the quiz question. Bill? Thanks, Keith. A little music this time from legendary jazz pianist Bob Settergreen from the class of 1960. It's a jazzy version of a familiar Halebury tune. The question is, which one? Thanks, Bill. Answer coming up later. And now I'm off out to the Keysborough School to chat with Glenn Garden. Today I'm out at the Haleybury Archives at Keysborough talking to an esteemed member of our archives team, Glenn Garden. Glenn, when did you come to Haleybury? After retiring from the government system, I came here in 2005. Right. And you're a classroom teacher? I was a classroom teacher, yes. Specialising... Well, I I was English and history, but when I came here, I was asked to fill a position that was English and ESL, as it was then. And uh, I found that was really a good position. Right. Then later, it was it 2009, yes, you joined the um, VCE in China team? I happened to be uh, sharing an office with Richard Pickerskill, who was in charge of the uh, China program. And uh, I watched as the teachers came for, for training and got very interested in it. And then in 2009, I had the opportunity to become a mentor for the teachers in China. Right, and you're still doing that today? Uh, I've switched a bit when I stopped teaching. Which uh, is when? Here at Halbury, about 2013. Right. I was asked to be the mentor or the director of the pre-VCE program. So I moved down from teaching units three and four to preparing for three and four. Right, okay. And now you have an association with Robert Pargeter that goes back quite a long way. Can you tell us a bit about that, please? Okay, he he lived in Blackburn, I lived in Box Hill. But when Blackburn High was started, we were both in the initial intake. Right. And so we knew each other quite well because th- there was no one in, the, in a, f- a form above us all the way through our right, high school yeah. stu- yep. schooling. So, and then um, <coughs> your, your careers sort of parted but then uh, came together again. Would you like to tell us how that happened? Uh, over a long period, yeah. We, we lost track to a certain extent after university when I went to the country and uh, he stayed in the city, first of all at Northcote High School. Yep and uh, then at La Trobe University. And uh, we didn't have very much to do with each other, except that our parents knew each other and sort of uh, we kept in touch remotely. Yeah, and then after quite a long time uh, back in Australia, I I retired and uh, Mm -hmm. he uh, asked me to come down and have a look at Halebury. And you're still here? 
I'm still still going. Yes, yeah, it's a great story. Yeah. Now you also run the Archive Student Club. I think you actually started it. Do you want to explain? Uh, to, well, you took it over and expanded. I'd like to explain uh, how that you know from I, your point of view. I think teachers are always expected to do some extras, and uh, I, I noted that there was an archives club and uh, got on very well with uh, Bill Waters, the librarian who was running it, and offered to help him. And, yeah, somehow or other I've, I've more or less taken over that responsibility from Bill and it uh, keeps, keeps running. Good, yes. Now, coming up, we have a piece that was recorded by members of the group interviewing John Twist. Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for that, Glenn. Smart move by Robert to get you out here. And I know you've really enjoyed your 15 years at Haderbury so far. And now, Chief Archivist Matthew Wooten kicks off an interview by one of our students with the founding principal of the Berwick School, John Twist, affectionately known to all as Twisty. Hello. Hello, can you hear me, John? Yeah, I can hear. I'm at hands-free. You'll have to excuse the background. I'm at Chadston Shopping Centre of all places, but I can hear you clearly. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, thank you very much for being part of this interview. I'm going to hand you over in a second to one of our captains of Heritage and Archives, Carter Blakeman-Lee, and he's just got a few questions for you. Is that okay? Yeah, first name again? Carter. Carter, thank you. Thank That's you. fine by me, Matt. Thank you very much. I'll pass him over. Here he is. Hello, Carter. Uh, hello, Mr Twist. I just want to say a quick thank you for being available today to answer a couple of questions. It's a pleasure and I appreciate your initiatives. First of all, we just wanted to know uh, why did Aikman have a Barrett campus and see a future for it? Okay, well, there's a few reasons here I can quickly rattle off for you. Historically, pre-1989... Students came from St Margaret's School of Berwick, boys that is, because it was a boys' school only, remember, in those days. And after Grade 3, they'd come to Newlands to do Grade 4 and move onwards through the school for their studies. So having a boys' school out there would cater for our own students from Year 3 onwards with the aim of making the school available for students of a younger age later on down the track and perhaps an older age. So that was one reason. Studies indicated that a major independent school probably would be required in the Berwick district, especially for boys given St Margaret's School School was there. And uh, Berwick was seen as a major growth area for Melbourne, the Southeastern Corridor it was called, the Growth Corridor. And uh, ideally that would help Halebury out, given it didn't take too long to get from the Berwick district into Keysborough. And uh, Aikman and uh, the council found 16 acres of, of prime real estate, which was part of the old Lord Casey estate, as Governor General of Australia. That all seemed to fit nicely. And another major point was Castlefield at the time was really struggling for numbers. And as a feeder school to the main school at Keysborough, looked a little bit unreliable. So, Carter, they're the basic reasons why a school was established out of Berwick. Okay, yeah, thank you for that. In my mind, anyway. <laughs> Secondly, does the Berwick campus have its own personality? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Look, a prime piece of uh, real estate for Halebury, uh, given its position, it was really well positioned given the proximity to the Berwick village. Great place for buildings and also for sporting grounds. Had enormous street appeal and really fitted in beautifully with the architecture that was designed for the place, creating a sense of belonging and enabled uh, the school to have some interlocking courtyards with buildings and uh, room for some discrete building zones. So, yeah, it really does have its own personality that stands out. And you'd probably agree with me if you're looking at it from the road. It really does pitch you as a beautiful design and a great piece of land. Yeah, it certainly is. Thirdly, uh, 
What would you say the challenges and opportunities were with the size of the Barrett campus? Plenty of opportunities. One of the big challenges we had, I should let you know this one, when we opened that school up, that um, parents were still paying full Haylebury fees for a school that only had a few buildings on it, not the facilities that Keysborough or Brighton had. And so I had to ask the staff to give 110% to make sure people were getting their value but also wanted to be at the school. So we really involved ourselves with the school community, which was critical. So that was a major challenge for us there and then. And I think the challenges still to this day would uh, be there, given that the senior school is really moving along nicely but probably will need to grow in future years, and it, it probably will, given the, other, the rest of the school. I mean, we opened with 45 kids in 1989, and I guess the uh, school population out there would be probably close to 800 or 900 now. So it's been quite a story over 30 years, beginning with only 45 students. Um, but the school has always provided an outstanding opportunity for the education of, of young Barrick people in the district, well organised, and as I said, community strengths were really important. But recognition from the community was really important for us, given that we had, for example, no footy ground when we opened, no cricket ground, no tennis courts. So we just walked the kids across to the showgrounds across the road for playtime. I was able to forge a relationship with local sporting clubs to hire their grounds until the school got to a position where it could have its own sporting grounds, which are now absolutely first rate. Yeah. Also, uh, how would you say the Barrett campus has progressed over time? Enormously, really. And when you consider, again, back to 45 kids, we only had grades 4, 5 and 6 when we opened in 89. I had um, conversations with Michael Aikman about the possibility of bringing on Year 7. Um, it was going to be a bit earlier than the school wanted, but um, Michael Aikman and the school agreed that it probably was best to go on to 7 because they were going to transfer the kids to Keysborough. So we forged ahead and uh, moved on to a junior secondary part of the middle school. Year 7 and 8 were built after 1989 and 1991. And the school continued to move along the building program because the opportunity then arose for the uh, junior school and the early, early learning centre to be created, which really helped. And um, we were also able to purchase 50 acres behind the original 16, which brought the school to 66 acres altogether. And hence uh, a pre-senior program, the year nine program began and a new principal came along in Robert Parkater and Robert certainly changed the school with its directions. The introduction of girls was fantastic. We were able to continue to build new facilities to cater for the growth of boys and girls within the school and to this day the growth still continues. So really it has changed enormously over time um, with those uh, few little pointers I've just given you. Definitely. So with that, what do you see as the future of Berwick? Look, historically, you'd know with your history, reflecting on the past is an important indicative of what's going to happen in the future. And uh, the school needs to continue to really be part of the local community. It really, uh, the school, Haylebury, Berwick, Edrington is now embedded really into the fabric of Berwick and district. And uh, it needs to be seen as really part of that strong community out there. The school will continue to be an educational leader, I'm sure, among schools. And that's important that we hold that. But I, I learned that class waiting lists are still very impressive, so the future looks assured there. I know all the other schools out there look to see what Haylebury's doing. But I guess for the future, we still need to be contemporary and modern enough to cater for the real future needs of students and families in the district and beyond. I think the future's rosy. I, I'm really so proud to have been part of the uh, 
Berwick School and to be the leader out there was quite an opportunity for myself to enjoy putting my stamp on something. I really thought it was a great time. The staff worked extremely hard out there, extremely hard. Yes. All right. Thank you for speaking with us on the 30th anniversary of the Berwick campus today. Carter, it's been my, pl- my pleasure and my privilege, and I hope you really enjoy your work with all of that. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much, John. Thank you for your time on the phone today. We're really grateful that you're able to take part. I hope that helps, Matty. Um, I wish you all well, and uh, it's a very important time for the Berwick School. Absolutely. Look, you've been a huge help. Thank you, and thank you for, for doing the interview at such short notice, and uh, enjoy chats since today. Yeah, I can see my wife lingering around the back there. I better keep moving, but good on you, mate. Take care. Very good. Thank you, John. Thank you. Hmm, a nice interview, and we look forward to more contributions from our students. Twisty and his early staff certainly did a great job in getting Berwick off the ground and well established. And now to close this episode, the Brian Ennis recording recommended by audio archivist Gordon Hawley. First as his English teacher, then later as a mentor and colleague, Jock McGregor had a profound influence on Brian, as we are about to hear. Well, Founders Day. They're here with us. Charles Henry Rendell, our founding father. He started this school with just 17 students. And I assume he's watching us now and wondering if he could have predicted that we'd be 100 times, more than 100 times that number today. Eric Berthon, the gentleman headmaster. The third one towards the rear, Sidney Dickinson, founder of Castlefield. Over here, Charlotte Black, the charismatic headmaster. And here, Frank Northcote, the legendary administrator. And on this corner, David Bradshaw, founder of Keysborough. Now, these names are familiar to most of us. Of course, the names of senior school houses. I think most of you will also be familiar with the name of Ivan McGregor, our senior school library is named after him. There's another connection you're not aware of, so I'll make you aware of it now. In this hall on Friday's assembly, we'll be singing a hymn, one of our favourites, Christ is the World's Redeemer. If you look in your hymn books, not now please, you'll see that it was translated by a certain Duncan McGregor. He was a renowned Scottish scholar, He translated that hymn from the Gaelic and he was the father of the man whose portrait is about to be unveiled. The son, Ivor McGregor, was also a renowned scholar. Let me give you an example. He taught English at the school and he loved, above all, Shakespeare. And being a Scot, he loved teaching Macbeth in particular. All of his students, of whom I was one, We'll never forget how he strode along the platform with a blackboard ruler in one hand, text in the other, taking all the parts and delivering the lines in his rolling Scottish brogue. I've got a particular memory of this. I was sitting in the front desk in the classroom when he reaches the climax of the play, when the the tragic betrayed Macbeth cries out his last words, Leon Macduff and damned be him who first cries hold enough. In the play at that point there's a sword fight and Macbeth is killed by Macduff. I remember that because 
here am I in the front row and here is Mr McGregor with his three foot blackboard ruler challenging me to fight obviously casting me as Macduff and I remember me holding up my little foot ruler like this and him giving an almighty swish just as if it was a broadsword and sending my ruler out the door it's interesting we will be performing Macbeth on this stage next term and I suspect his spirit will haunt us he was said to have read all Shakespeare's plays every year of his adult life there are 37 of them near the end of his career he suffered a slight stroke and he temporarily lost the ability to read the stroke affected his eyesight but he continued to teach undeterred and he continued to apparently read huge chunks of Shakespeare sometimes lasting the whole period just as before no one had the heart to tell him at this period that half of the time he was holding the text upside down he was quoting the whole thing word perfect from memory and here's something for we teachers to ponder he also loved teaching Chaucer and he continued that exact process in Middle English the whole of the prologue and in particular I remember the Miller's Tale now I've given you a picture of a fairly formidable man and he was that you can see that for yourselves at least in the front row later when it's hung at the rear in John Perry's portrait but I think if you look closely you'll see something else I think you'll see there's a twinkle in the eye and a humorous curve to the mouth in fact Ivor McGregor had a irrepressible sense of humour for example he was a staunch Presbyterian and as such never uttered a swear word but he found his way around this I remember him looming over a fourth former and saying mischievous there's no such word laddie use it again and I'll I'll rip out your wee liver and splat it against that wall which sounds frightening but of course at that point both he and the whole class would dissolve into laughter I'm honoured to speak to you about him today and we're honoured to have his daughter Margaret here Arthur McGregor was a scholarly and inspiring teacher a respected head of English a pillar of support to two headmasters which he served as vice principal and a lovable colleague and I'm sure it's absolutely right that his portrait should hang here in this great hall amongst the other distinguished founders of Halebury an eloquent tribute from one great teacher to another in my years at Halebury I was fortunate to have both of them for English and finally here's Bill with the answer to the quiz question Bob was jamming away on Gaudiamus, and here it is again.
Thanks, Bill. Gaudi Amos. Hands up if you got that one right. Well, that's it for this 11th From the Archives podcast. The next episode should be coming your way in November. As we approach the one-year mark with this podcast series, your feedback is very important to us. So if you've got a comment to make or a story you'd like to tell, please get in touch. My email, keith.white at halebury.vic.edu.au or perhaps send me a text or voicemail to 0490 477 398. Again, 0490 477 398. This is Keith White signing off from the Archives, Series 1, Episode 11, October 2019. Thanks for listening.